Hi. Hi. Welcome back to Hide or Practice. I'm Alexis Hyde. I'm Erica Wong. We have artist Yasmin Diaz with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, would you mind, in your own words, letting our listeners know uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, why they're so lucky to get to hear your wonderful voice today? Yeah, I'm a visual artist and I work with collage, installation, and just this past year with textile via fiber etching. Um, I'm originally from Chicago. My parents immigrated to the U.S. from the south of Yemen before I was born. And I mention that because much of my work stems from that experience of growing up as a child of immigrants in the 80s and 90s, going to public schools in inner city Chicago, and living within a pretty insular Yemeni community. My work in Soft Powers, which is at Ochi Projects in Los Angeles right now, approaches a more nuanced part of that experience. The term Soft Powers typically references a kind of political strategy, but I'm redefining it to describe the skills that we all begin to develop as children to adjust and adapt to different scenarios and different people. Um, when I think about communities like the one I was raised within and the children of those communities, those skills, one of which is code switching, which refers to verbal language, but I'm thinking about much more than that. Those skills require more nuance and more awareness. And I often describe them as kinds of superpowers when I see them in action and I see people kind of like switching. Um, many of us continue to live very naturally with you know these pluralities for the rest of our lives. and. It's an area that has continually fascinated me and one that I just really wanted to dive into uh, in a more kind of subtle way with this work. So that's, that's a very short summary. Oh. Uh, yeah. I, I love Ochi Projects. It's such a good um, space. It just, yeah. I love it over there. Yeah, they're great. They're great. Yeah. So since uh, you're so busy and you've grown up with uh, I totally understand as growing up with a multiple culture scenario. Um, so I am curious, what do you think our listeners should know? Like one piece of advice that or information that you've sort of been boiled down to after all these years of being an artist and being a human being, like what do you think our listeners should know? Well, um, you know, thinking about people who maybe have also kind of have like these sort of mixed identities. Um, specifically, I, first of all, I was a very late bloomer when it comes to talking about these things in my work. And that's for a variety of reasons. Like I with along with a couple of my sisters, uh, we left our family right after I graduated from high school, uh, meaning like we had a pretty clean break, like we didn't talk to the majority of our family. Uh, for a really long time um, because of these pretty extreme differences, like cultural differences that we had. Um, and so for a long time, I didn't talk about that for, you know, it was just like 
it was just a lot. It was just too much. And so um, it got to a point for me where I couldn't not talk about those things anymore. And I started doing it in my work. And I, you know, had a lot of, I guess, hesitation about doing so because I hadn't done that. And, you know, one of the really wonderful things that happened when I did do that and, and share the work and, you know, because of social media being able to kind of connect with people, you know, which, you know, um, social media allows people to kind of find you and people that you might not come across in, in your immediate, you know, day to day. Um, the most wonderful thing happened uh, in that, like, I have this like new kind of chosen family that started growing, you know, um, this is a very long way of answering that question, but, you know, I think oftentimes we think that like we're right. Like me and my Yemeni little Yemeni, very insular community in Chicago um, often felt like, very alone in that like I experienced so many internal conflicts in terms of like these very different values that my family and you know community expected me to have versus you know what the outside world was kind of telling me you know this this you know to put it simply the kind of individualist versus like collectivist culture which kind of clash and you know when I shared uh, like my own kind of like uh, stories in my work, um, I just connected with a lot of people that experience like similar kind of conflicts, you know, and not just Yemenis or Arabs. Um, and that was a really wonderful thing is like the first time I had a show in LA um, where I, it was pretty auto autobiographical and um it resonated with so many people of who are also just either, you know, they're identified as like third culture or like children of immigrants. And so, you know, I know it's like a very kind of like, you know, often heard thing, but uh, we often more often than not connect with more people than we think we might, you know, even when we think that like we're, we're alone in something. And so um, I guess, yeah, it would just be that, um, if you have like this kind of like burning <laughs> desire to say something or to express, you know, yourself in a certain way um, or share something um, to just like do it and try it, you know, <laughs> and it's like advice that people hear all the time, but it's so, it's so true. I mean, I really wasn't, um, I, I didn't know what to expect, you know, with like sharing this works. So I thought who's going to care. This is my particular story. I mean, as many times as I've experienced receiving someone else's story and being grateful, it's a very different thing when it's you, right? It's very scary to like make that leap. And my story felt so specific. Um, but it was, it really, it's just, I think people like, it's such a basic human need, right? To connect. And, um, and I think that, you know, when you share your story, it just like opens this door for like empathy from other people and connection. And I've always been grateful when I see other people do that and make themselves vulnerable. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's one thing. The other thing that is like my thing that I always say <laughs> that I, if I could like tell myself, uh, like go back in time and give myself this advice is, uh, you know, to not be afraid of failure. Um, it's like been such a hindrance to me. I, I, I've held myself back so much in the past for fear of making a mistake or failing and you know it just took me a long time to realize that failure can be the best education 
trying something and feeling so much better for you than not trying that thing at all. And it's not like, I would say pretty much never as scary as you even think it is to fail. I'm air quoting right now. (laughs) Um, I want to get back to the failure thing because it's something Eric and I have talked about like extensively. And I think it's like so important, but I would also love to touch on by the way, everybody, like you guys can't see us, but like Eric and I are just like hard nodding through this entire thing. It's just, it's like amazing. We're just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yes. Um, but I love the idea of like hindsight 2020, like looking back, like that you were a late bloomer and like the time that it take, took to like process your experience and get to a place where, you know, you were expressing it. And I, cause I, I consider myself a late bloomer as well. Um, and so I love, I love to hear it. I love to, there you go, speak into, yeah. you know, you know, my experience as well. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just basking in that joy, just like you said, it's just, it's amazing. But the, I, cause I always kind of struggle trying to place like how that has like benefited or like hindranced me. Um, and I think other people do too. Do you think that when you got to a place where you could, you know, communicate through your artwork and you felt comfortable even though there was obviously the fear of failure and like oh gosh is anyone gonna like this do you think that that took time in processing like maturity level of like now I feel like I have a comprehensive idea of what I want to start talking about or do you think that there was like a shift in like societal understanding of like us you know of us of anybody expressing their experiences more personally um like where do you think that kind of like led to you like the that adjustment of, of your output? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, several things uh, happened that kind of happened uh, that led up to that moment for sure. Um, one of them being, so in art, uh, in the art world, I guess, <laughs> um, being personal or sharing very personal things in your artwork, I think was maybe more frowned upon uh, in the past. And um, I think I, I was seeing people do it a little bit more um, leading up to that moment uh, that I did. And, um, and, the, and the, I think the, um, the culture on that kind of was starting to change. Um, maturity, absolutely, for sure. You know, I, I don't think I was, I'm so glad I actually didn't talk about these things earlier because I don't know how I would have presented it and I don't think I would have been ready um, and then, yeah, there were definitely some things I think in happening in, you know, society wise that, um, motivated me or, you know, like, so for example, you know, 9-11 was a long time ago, but in the years after 9-11, there was so much more conversation around Arabs and Muslims in, you know, the U.S. and, you know, all over and, you know, that kind of conversation shift and morphed over the years. And one of the things that I was finding increasingly difficult was seeing how that conversation was like very much polarized, like so many things are, right? And so it was like on the right where people are deemed as like terrorists and, you know, just the enemy. And on the left, I think a lot of times I would see hear conversation, especially about like Islam and Muslims being kind of reduced, I guess, you know, um, to, uh, and this is the thing, this is like one of the areas that I still kind of like struggle with, because it's like, you know, I'm agnostic, and I, I feel that way just about religion in general, um, organized religions. Um, 
but I'm not trying to in any way like promote like any kind of intolerance, you know, if anything, like I want to promote tolerance, you know, around people like myself as well, who choose to, you know, like kind of like live without faith. Um, and so I think that like, sometimes there isn't like, we treat, it's, it's really interesting. Like the, the conversation around, for example, like the Christian right or like Christianity versus like Islam, it's like people don't want to, you know, speak critically about it. And I don't, I don't like even want to engage in like theological debates, but so, um, yeah, I just, I just saw these kind of like reductive conversations happening and my story is like kind of complicated, you know, it's like the fact that like I am considered an apostate, like someone who's born into Islam and decides to leave it. Like it's a, it's a punishable by death in like, you know, several countries still, including where my family comes from. And like, you know, that was like one of the things that was like, um, I still (laughs) struggle with like talking about, um, but, um, but just also talking about, um, uh, yeah, these, these kind of more nuanced conversations, you know, around like I was born and, you know, uh, raised into a Yemeni family. And like, there are so many things I love about the collectivist culture that I grew up in, but there are also things that were very difficult and challenging. And, um, you know, those are, I try to present that kind of nuance in the work, you know, um, that is like, telling the story with empathy, but also like showing, you know, the, the, the pain and like struggle of, of that. And also, and I also talk often about the difficulty of just sharing this kind of work, you know, because it's like uh, one of the reasons why I was so kind of like reticent for a while was that like, I didn't want it to be used by, you know, outlets on the right, for example, you know, I mean, like one of the things that I talk about in my work is like the fact that I faced like a potential like forced marriage and, you know, uh, honor violence. And those things are feed into a certain kind of stereotype. And it's like, unfortunately, they're facts for me, but it's, uh, there are a lot of people in my kind of community that, you know, don't, don't want people to talk about that so openly don't want to feed into those stereotypes. And so it's like finding that balance um, is, is, has been a struggle, but I also got kind of tired of like not talking about them because I would hear people say like, this is not the time, like don't make us look bad. But I also wasn't hearing those conversations enough, like within my own community. So it was like, we can do both. We can challenge xenophobia, challenge like patriarchal violence, you know? Yes. I think so much of what you guys were saying is about this idea of community, which Alexis and I have actually talked about a lot. Um, and um, that sense of the, the community and connectivity. And what I think you just said is so interesting is that even when you have a community, it doesn't mean that you're connected. It doesn't mean that everybody sees things eye to eye. However, I think bringing back to the point of failure and like needing to fail, I think it's a really interesting conversation to look at it in a different light. I had this conversation with a friend of mine and we were saying that I think when you're artists and you go to art school together, there's this idea of failing together. There's like this idea of togetherness, even though you're not doing the quote unquote right thing. But hey, because everyone's failing together, you feel better because of that connectivity of being in a community. And I think it's so interesting to go and think about, well, what if you are 
in a community, but people aren't seeing things eye to eye. What do you do when that happens? And how do you talk about that and have a meaningful conversation? Because, I mean, there's lots of Chinese people out there, right? There's lots of Chinese Canadian people out there, but it doesn't mean that we're all the same and that we have all the same experience and like that, that would be weird. Maybe not, I don't know. But like, how do you have that conversation? So everybody is on like, at least understanding the conversation to some extent and being able to go and connect on a human level, because that's important, like, because we are humans, we shouldn't forget that, even though I think sometimes we do. We do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, fortunately, now I'm seeing more conversations happening, or any that I I didn't see at all when I was a kid. Um, When I was a kid, social media didn't exist, nor did the internet, really. (laughs) I'm 43. So, um, but now it's it's so wonderful to see people connecting, you know, and and finding you know other like-minded um, people within similar communities that may have felt like they were on the fringe, like I did, you know. And and yeah, that's a really difficult thing. It's like um, when you know, as for me, like when I was a young girl, um, this community that's so that's it's that's so tight that you know people really look after each other and take care of each other you know like nobody would be left like hungry or you know like without being able to pay rent I mean like it was that kind of a tight community so um, you know there's so many pro- pros of course uh, from this kind of culture um, but then you know there were as I as I you know approached adolescence you know certain things uh, became more clear to me. And it was, um, I think one of the most difficult things to realize was that, you know, in some cases, what other people thought and like our reputation as a family, that value seemed to supersede like my own, you know, maybe well-being. And if I challenged some of those values, you know, so for example, like I didn't want to go through an arranged marriage or I didn't want to live under this kind of like male guardianship you know, um, and we didn't, it wasn't a formal system like they have in Saudi Arabia, but that's essentially like how our community lived. You know, I would never, there was no woman that lived independently and, you know, above the whole like marriage thing, like that's something that I knew that I wanted, you know, like I wanted to be able to travel. I wanted to, you know, live somewhere else and, you know, just make decisions for myself. And it was very clear that like, that wasn't okay. You know, like there was always it's either your your father was your guardian, after that would be your husband, you know, and in, in some cases it could even be your son if like, um, you know, if your husband passed away or, or your brother, if, you know, you weren't married and whatever. But so um, I just very like inherently did not agree with that, you know, way of being. And, um, and also there was, you know, uh, quite a bit of like, you know, mesical, mental, physical abuse in our communities that I saw that it was just kind of like swept under the rug. And, and I think a lot of that was in the vein of just maintaining a certain kind of like reputation and not disturbing the peace, um, which I think is something that's pretty common in a, in a lot of collectivist cultures. Oh, yes. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a self-sustaining, uh, protecting way. Don't... 
don't rock the boat guys. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting because I think that, you know, your this also goes to your conversation and your, your points of bringing up about nuance conversation and personal storytelling and failure, because I think in collectors communities and these things, you can have a more well-rounded point of view when more people are telling their stories, when you have more conversations of nuance, because something can be good and bad simultaneously and it doesn't lessen anything. Something you can try something and have it fail. And that doesn't mean it's inherently bad. Uh, sometimes it absolutely does. Don't get me wrong, guys. But, the, but, you know, not every time. And I think that, you know, the more, you know, we engage in these, you know, if you aren't seeing eye to eye and you do embrace failure and you do, you know, embrace like personal storytelling and communication in that way, and you can get a more well-rounded picture with that nuance and that is when we start thriving right yeah i mean again i feel like i i keep i keep <laughs> coming to this point where um of how like people are connecting right now in this different way and i feel like so much of it's happened a lot of it's happened just in, it's like five years you know ten years but especially more recently where um you know and this is happening on a broader scale where i see a lot of like younger uh generations like kind of appreciating like their roots i guess in a way that we didn't see so much like when i was a kid you know and i i think definitely like in my parents generation um so like yeah like 20 30 years ago um for a lot of people uh of of that generation and i think before there was more this uh impulse to assimilate that wasn't so much my family, but I just, this is something that I think was more common, like in the US um, back in the day is uh, people assimilating, you know, to US culture. And a lot of, you'd hear a lot of stories of uh, parents making decision to talk to their kids only in English or, or make sure their kids like didn't speak their native language, which is so sad, uh, you know, to, to hear that. But, um, and now I feel like, you know, there's been more of this, like, I guess, the backlash around that way of, of thinking and um, this appreciation for like, where, you know, our, our, uh, the heritage of our, of our families. And um, at the same time, challenging, maybe, you know, conservative uh, social, like, norms or, you know, traditions. So it's, it's really wonderful. And I think so much of that has to do with just all these different conversations happening at once where it's like, no, we can appreciate our roots. And we can also say like, but we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna also praise these, these ways of thinking that oppressed us or that harmed us. We can have, we can have both, you know? And um, it's really, it's really, really wonderful. You know, like right now I, you know, for so long I didn't, I didn't see my family and didn't like connect with like even other, you know, like Yemenis or other Arabs. I, started to lose my Arabic and now it's like I have you know because of my work and can I have like this this new like Yemeni family around the world basically and people who are like very progressive and want to change things like in our communities and like also embrace like our heritage and our you know our our roots and culture so um yeah I love it I love it I love that I also um wanted to know like I think this is like something, especially when we're talking about communication and storytelling and, you know, communicating through like your work and personal stories, like you're talking about 
you know, these are your hyper-personal experiences that you're putting into your work. But then, like you said, that it's, it's reaching so many other people that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, the child of a Yemenese immigrants in Chicago. <laughs> um, and I think that's, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to push anything on anybody, but I love, I love these, I love this idea of, you know, having a real like slice of like your life and having it go global because, you know, we're not all snowflakes, but we also are all snowflakes. Like no one's had like, you know, your specific, you know, conversation at breakfast with your mom, but we've all had a conversation at a different breakfast table with a parent or, you know, a guardian that could have had that kind of like impact. And, you know, kudos, first of all, for having your art communicate that way. That's really, really difficult stuff to do. And I'm it's just like amazing. But I think that that's, you know, cause that's again, like that fear of kind of like failing as like, Oh, what if I say this and nobody cares, but it's really, I think when you do get that confidence to, to tell those stories and, you know, and like also like, what if no one does relate to the story? That's fine. You've got other totally. stories to tell, right? Yeah. Like everyone's got, we all have so many stories to tell and like, they're not all going to be like bestsellers, you know? <laughs> Totally. Um, yeah. But I th- I love that idea that it's just like you can work in your own community and that whole, you know, kind of consciousness that like kind of exists there between those people. But then also you're, you know, those little tentacles are out hitting so many other different communities and, you know, it's, it can be personal and it can be kind of political and it can be like an interrelationship and it can be like, a, you know, an outside situation. And, all of that comes from making the leap of just like, I'm going to tell my story personally. Uh, and I think it's really magical. I don't think there's a question in there now that I've like gone on that little rant, but <laughs> you know, I just, I just like, okay, it. I I, it no, it made me, it made me think like, um, yeah, the first time I kind of like, I feel like made the leap and debuted some of this conversation, um, was uh, at the Women's Center for Creative Work in LA, which is this really wonderful, like, you know, kind of grassroots org. And I had been uh, going there and attending events as a member, you know, since they opened their space, I think that was in 2016 or 15. So I felt really comfortable sharing it there. So that was like one of the reasons why I was like ready to do it. I was like, I feel really comfortable in this space, you know. And, you know, there are, there were, it's, it's like, you know, it, it was a pretty diverse community even then. Um, but I didn't necessarily know a lot of people like in the Swana community, which is like Southwest Asia, North Africa that, you know, that uh, came by. And so there were actually people of different backgrounds, um, more so that came to see that, that first show. And it was so interesting. You know, the stories I heard from other people like that, who, who it's like everyone or so many people had, you know, resonated with different aspects of it. And I ended up having this conversation. We did some programming um, while I was there uh, around the show around like third culture identity. So we had people of all walks of life and backgrounds like attending. And it was just wild how like every people would go around and share stories. And so many people had a similar one, but were of just completely different, you know, backgrounds and it's like we think we're so different sometimes and it's like and the stories never get old I mean I don't get tired of these kinds of stories because it's like even though we can connect on them it's like everyone's experience is different you know 
so to me it's like yeah i never get i never get tired of this stuff but um but yeah it's just it's just interesting how we think that like oh yeah i was the only one like this and and you know not that we're not all unique and wonderful we are <laughs> but it's like you know i feel like it's not until sometimes you like share and talk about these things that you find out that like you're you're never you know usually pretty much never as alone as you think um so yeah don't you feel like the tone of this conversation is so different? I think like after the outcome. <laughs> the like... outcome. I know because we have like, we have episodes coming out after this one that were done before times. It was not like not before like... COVID times, but before before the outcome. Um, so that's gonna be it funny like... to like have like episode. It's gonna be like oh gosh, like where's that that tension's gonna be back? Mm-hmm. I know. I do feel like there's a there's a there's a levity. There's there's a, there is. A it's weight. very grounding. Yeah, it's very centering. And I think these types of topics are also very grounding and and. Um, centering as well like for those who practice yoga and do all the meditative stuff which I think the art very much is so I'm actually really interested in knowing um having that conversation how has LA or has LA sort of changed the way you're able to go and tell your story um Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, LA took a while um, for me to kind of feel, um, I don't know, like, comfortable and even find my community, you know, LA. Because there's too much sunshine, is that it? (laughs) Well, the sunshine is wonderful. I love it, you know, but I think, and I I always tell this to people who are thinking about moving LA or who have just moved to like, just know that it takes time to find your people here. It really does. It takes, I would say, probably much longer than places because of how, you know, disparate things are here. And um, physically, just literally, you know, uh, things are, are far apart from each other. Um, and like the Women's Center for Creative Work didn't exist when I first moved here. Um, but I, if it had and I had, you know, if I had found it right away, I think my time would have been very different, like in terms of like getting adjusted here. Um because yeah, it could just take a minute to find people that um, yeah would be considered like part of your your local family kind of thing. And so um, so building a community through spaces like that, and you know, uh, just going out to different events. Like I didn't go to school here, and so I didn't have like that kind of community. But I got to a point where I was like, okay, I want to start talking about these things. But first, I just started doing kind of homework, I guess, you know. Um, and there's LA is like amazing and full of resources. You just kind of have to put a little bit more work into finding them and going to them. And so when I started doing that, um, that was kind of like building a kind of, you know, uh, ammo, I guess, or just. No, I think that's a really, I've had that conversation with other Angelinos and it, I really experienced it. I think also in, that, in Los Angeles, you can have like a couple different lives you know, in different groups of people, because it is like, there is the geography and there are so many little pockets of people and, and ecosystems of creativity and all of this stuff. And it's very easy to get sucked into one thinking that's the entire world of the LA art scene or creative scene. Um, And like, literally you have like no idea what's going on the next block. It's like, it's so, it's so funny how easily like you can get like overwhelmed. Um, But yeah, it can take years. I mean, it's, it took, 
it took years for me. And then it took more years again, after like realizing that that little world that I was in, wasn't like the entire world that I thought it was. Um, but like you said, like you do your homework and you do, you know, you go out and you go to different places and you get out of your comfort zone and you meet new people and like, man, the rewards are high. Um, big time, big, big, big time. time. I mean, you know, it's so funny, like growing up in Chicago, I hated LA. I had never yeah. been there. It's so funny. Like, you know, I feel like if you're like east of a certain point or maybe even just outside of LA, like every, there's this thing that like everyone hates LA. It's so easy to, and why not? You're like, ew, like Hollywood and Beverly Hills and Malibu. Like, um, we don't, we don't so, make it easy and, to love. <laughs> I know, but it's like, it's so like, I disagree. I, I disagree. I'm a West coast baby. I disagree. Like, I, love it. I love the West coast. Like, so I love the West coast. No, I like my green juices and yoga. No, but see, you're wait. Did you? Where did you grow up? Vancouver. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I mean, I feel like you know, if you're from like this part of the, you know, yeah, mid. Like, once you get in the Midwest, I'm from Austin, and like the view of LA is like real cheesy. It's like, oh yeah, you got your green juice and your yoga. Mm-hmm. I'll show you some like fossil fuels. You can't come here, you Hollywood libtards, come get my guns. No, thank you. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. That's a Facebook post I saw this weekend. Anyway, <laughs> but it is, I mean, it's, it can, it's very, we don't make it easy sometimes, but it's also, it's so funny because LA is more than that. Like it's more than Real Housewives. It's more than Hollywood, although that is it a is? part of it. Are you sure? No, I'm not sure. <laughs> Absolutely not. That is, I'm only 33% sure guys that it's more than that but it um but it can be it's so much more than that yeah so much more than that because I know that it's not that but it's so easy to like because you know I mean Hollywood exports it man like that's the that's the image you know and this is why representation matters 100 percent. I mean and I feel like I feel like Hollywood in the past exported more of that where it's mm-hmm. like oh in the last I don't know what maybe 15 20 years there's much more of the representation of like the grimy LA and the diverse LA yeah. one of my favorite documentaries is the Jonathan Gold documentary it's like this love letter to LA have you seen it yes. it's amazing it's amazing and I was like yes this this is what I want all my friends who think they hate LA that have never been here to see because that represents like the LA that I love um you know, LA, I think LA is like maybe the most diverse city that I've ever lived in. And it's, it's just harder to see that because it's not dense like New York. We're not all on top of each other. You, again, you have to like put the work into going to these places, but it's like, I mean, when you think about it, LA is nuts. It's like, we have Thai town, we've got like Armenian village, we've got Ethiopian village, we've got a little India, we've got little Tokyo. We've got the largest Korean population outside of Korea. And I think the same thing with Iranians, like Tarantulas. I mean, it's, you can't compare. It's, it's really, it's so rich. It's just, unfortunately, it's like, you've got to like drive around a lot or like, you know, be on the right. train for a long time to get yeah. from one side to the other. But, um, but it's very, very rich. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to this week? Oh, this week, I mean, okay, this has been a distracting week with the election and all. So I tried not to like check my phone and refresh a gazillion times, but you know, like everybody else, I did that. So there was lots of that going on, but I did just finish watching The Queen's Gambit. That (gasps) was a lot of fun. It's so good. It was really fun. It was so nice to be engrossed in that, like, 
um yeah this this past week so that um, have you good. shopped for wallpaper yet oh my god well so i am already kind of obsessed with wallpaper um i just like for the first time designed my own for the installation that i have up uh at uh ochi right now actually first for um so this show, can I plug my show a little? Yes, plug it, Please. plug it, plug it, plug it. I We're going to put do that. all this stuff in the blurby. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We got too much from talking. I know. Okay. Sorry. I, 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 like, sometimes I forget like, oh, talk about the show. Um, no, so um, I don't know if I should talk about the wallpaper still or whatever, but um, I designed, uh, I yeah, I'm already like kind of obsessed with wallpaper. I love it. Um, and, um, and like in my apartment now, I just have one wall with it. I love the accent wall wallpaper. Yes. So nice. Uh-huh. Highly recommend it. It's like if you don't want to like take the plunge and commit, just one wall, one yeah. accent wall. So highly recommend that. Um, but yeah, I I've always had um, wallpaper in my installations. I do this uh, variation on a bedroom installation. Um, so I guess this one that's at Ochi right now is the fourth one. Um, it's a very minimal, it's a very pared down. The, the, the installation that I did at the Women's Center for Creative Work that I mentioned, like that was the first one and it was like, you know, full on kind of bedroom installation where I was recreating um, the space that my sisters and I shared uh, when I was, when we were growing up. Um, and, you know, like patterns I feel like are so important, like when it comes to memory or they're, they're just an element that I feel like, uh, kind of like smell or, you know, some sounds where you don't necessarily always think about them, but like when you smell something or hear something and it just like takes you right back and, you know, smell is much more visceral, but patterns I think are, are kind of like in that, in that vein, in that mix where it's like you see this pattern and all of a sudden it kind of jogs your memory. And so um, anyways, I was looking for this specific pattern that I didn't quite find. I found it online and I, um, used it um, in the first couple of installations but then I I discovered that you can design your own for pretty you know pretty affordable um, so that's what I used uh, at the pared down installation that's up now at Ochi uh, in LA and then um, but the first time I did it was at the Arab American National Museum that's uh, where uh, I have another version of this show up right now I first installed this show uh, at the Arab American National Museum, which is in Dearborn, Michigan. And actually it's still there. It's basically just been held hostage since March um, because that's when everything happened. And, you know, uh, I had like 90%, you know, finished installing and then had to leave the state. Um, So it's still there. Hopefully they'll reopen, um, you know, I don't know, early next year, I think. Um, so the show that's up now at Ochi Projects is another iteration of that work. Um, and so it has a, a pared down installation in the back room and in the front room, a series of, of fiber etchings, um, which is a new, very new body of work for me because I hadn't been working with medium before this. I was mostly working with like collage and installation. Um, should I talk about that? I don't know. Yeah, sure. much I don't know. That. Okay. Um, so yeah, the the fiber etchings are um, that medium is also known as burn or devoray. Um, it's most I think commonly uh, seen in clothing or maybe even like drapery. Uh, but burnout, it's uh, to describe it. It's usually done on velvet and. Um, parts of the fluffy part of the velvet are burned 
off basically. And then their, uh, the sheer backing is, is left intact. And so, um, yeah, I think the most uh, familiar uh, form of it is like usually with like these decorative patterns or these floral patterns. And it was more popular in the nineties. And I was about to say, this is like a nineties thing. It's fun. Nineties are back, totally. baby. Nineties are bad. I know exactly. It's like, this is like in vogue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you'd see it in like blouses and dresses and especially scarves. I think today you still see it in a lot of scarves, but the nineties is a time period that I focus on a lot in my work. It's like the time period of like that installation. Um, it's when I was a teenager. Uh, it's when I was like just totally engrossed by like MTV and, um, all that good stuff. And so it hit a lot of marks for me to kind of to use that medium. But another reason why I wanted to use it when I came across it um, is because there's a Yemeni style of dress uh, called the dinet um, that is usually used uh, with, uh, usually made uh, with a sheer material and not necessarily always burnout. But when I was looking at old family photos, I saw a bunch, you know, with that material. And so, um, so yeah, it just kind of like hit a lot of marks. Uh, uh, to kind of like talk about you know, these, these things. And um, basically like the fiber etchings I see is kind of an extension of my collage work, which uh, I've often used a lot of personal imagery, like you know, um, using photos from my own like family albums of my sisters and I uh, just kind of hanging out in our own spaces. And this time for the first time, I reached out to other women outside of my own family who are also Yemeni and grew up in the U S and, kind of had similar, you know, challenges growing up, um, who let me kind of raid their archives. And, and I basically was using those photos as reference material to create these stencils that I then used to burn those images onto the fabric. Um, and so the process is, it's reductive. Like I make this chemical paste that's applied to the fabric and apply various forms of heat to it. And then literally I'm scraping off uh, in this case, rayon from a silk rayon velvet. It's kind of, it's like hard to describe, I guess, without looking at it, but. Um, very process uh, work. Yeah. 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 But it's very that. cathartic. It sounds very cathartic. It does. It really is. I mean, it was a pain, total pain to learn how to do it. I went through a lot of fabric and burned many holes in <laughs> you know, uh, many scraps of velvet. Um, so when I got to point where I wasn't doing that it was very satisfying um I should totally record a video of like that scraping part more because it's like very like ASMR I know I was friendly, about to say the ASMR community I just love that get that on TikTok and get them followers just scrape it people would love that I love that like because I'm, I'm picturing like the, the idea of like putting things on as like a collage and like taking things out and adding it and now now you're like kind of putting things on but then you're taking away and that kind of back and forth like juxtaposition like feels really good like thinking about like your progress and like process um i really really like that um so will you be so kind as to tell our wonderful listeners where to find you on the interwebs if they would yeah, be so um, interested sure when i am that's absolutely thanks for asking um so at my website yes M-I-N-E-D-I-A-Z. Um, and then I'm also pretty active on Instagram. I think my Instagram is yesmeme.diaz. Um, so yeah, I post pretty regularly regularly on there. Um, and then yeah, the show at Ochi is up now and it ends on November 21st. It's open by appointment. 
Get in there, guys, if you're in LA. If you're any of my LA babies, head over to Ochi. That's a really good space. Easy parking. It is. Yeah, easy parking. And they're being, um, you know, they've got a pretty, I feel like, pretty safe protocol. They only book, like, one appointment per hour. It's a pretty big space. So, you know, if you're a little concerned about crowds, it's like there's definitely not crowds in, you know, in the space. Um, yeah. Yeah, feels good. Uh, I am, again, I'm Alexa Hyde, hide or die anywhere and everywhere. <laughs> I'm Erica Wong. Um, you can find me at To Practice Practice. And if you guys have a minute and you're listening on Apple, please like and review. It helps us get out there and uh, more people listen to uh, our wonderful guests like Yasmin. And thank you again. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.